Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Somebody says Christ is risen or Christos Anesti, we respond by saying Alithos Anesti. Truly, He is risen. Let's give that a try. I'll say Christos Anesti, you respond with Alithos Anesti. Christos Anesti. Truly, He is risen. Friends, we live in a day and age where everything needs to be proven scientifically, and it's up to what you think it is. If you go to university, uh, you'll discover that 2 plus 2 can equal 4, but 2 plus 2 can equal 5, 6, or 7. It's uh, up to you, whatever you want it to be. And everything needs to be proven scientifically. And so many want proven facts that God exists. And we have a look at the truth of the Scriptures. We have a look at what the Bible says. This morning, Anthony read about Jesus dying but rising again, and they got to the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And so I think arguments are beneficial But they don't prove anything per se with reference to who Jesus Christ is. So it's helpful to have arguments. But in in Christianity, uh, it does not uh, detect or move us away from the truth that the the tomb is empty this morning. All it does is it adds to our faith. It adds to our faith. We know that faith is good. We know that reason and arguments are good. And it's probably best to say that faith and reason are like two birds, or two wings of the same bird. And so when we only want to have arguments that prove uh, Christianity, then we can lack in the area of faith. And so when it comes to the resurrection, we don't need any intellectual approval. In fact, Paul said it in his mission uh, when he said uh, his job is to preach the gospel. And he said, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. And so it's, it's easy to understand Jesus dying on the cross. It's harder to fathom that a body can actually arise again. In Christianity, when we read the Bible, we believe that with all our hearts And if we don't believe that, then we will struggle. We will struggle to live a life that's pleasing to God. And so the power of the words, He is risen, doesn't come from some congruence or normal life experience. It comes from a faith, a power that uh, moves beyond rational thinking to a faith that believes in God and allows us to believe that it is true and true indeed that He is risen, and truly He is risen. And so when we have a look at the resurrection, we believe that uh, through the power of the resurrection, we have this life-giving breath that the Holy Spirit gives us, and as we believe it, we're able to live lives that are pleasing to Him. And so this morning, I want to try and answer the question, uh, what happens when you, when you believe in the resurrection? What happens when you embrace the resurrection and it becomes part of who you are as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, Paul wrote, and he said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. 
That Greek word for uh, futile, metaios, uh, basically means it's empty. So if Christ did not rise from the dead, our faith, we gather here this morning for nothing. It's fruitless, it's profitless, it's uh, what Paul is saying. Our faith is empty, it is in vain, it has no purpose and devoid of force. And so we gather here and we realize that that's not the case at all. Islam and Judaism swear the resurrection of Jesus never happened. Jehovah's Witnesses claim Jesus' physical body was discarded. It was destroyed or dissolved into gases. Jesus' seminar, uh, learned fellows laugh it as, as merely wishful thinking. But what if they are right? What if what they claim is true? What if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead? Well, if that's the case, there's no Christianity, there's no hope, no future. But if Christianity is factually reliable, then Jesus' resurrection is the greatest thing in human history. There is no middle ground. So how can we know today what happened 2,000 years ago is true? Well, I think firstly that they were witnesses. They were witnesses. Uh, in that next slide, you'll see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, the disciples uh, uh, wrote about these, these many uh, convincing proofs that Jesus appeared. He appeared after his death. We read in uh, Acts 1, 3, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And that word appeared, baristimi, he stood beside them. It wasn't some phantom, it wasn't some ghost, no, he stood beside them. That word means he exhibited himself. He was at hand for them. He presented himself to them. There were many credible eyewitnesses. In fact, Peter reminds us uh, in Acts 2.32 that God had raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses of that fact. The word witnesses, martyrion, they, they saw it, it was a reality. And because of that reality, we get the English word martyr. Because of what they witnessed, they were able to give of themselves and eventually uh, died as martyrs because of what they witnessed. It was a reality. It wasn't, oh, maybe I dreamt it up, was it last night or the night before? No, it was a reality. And because of what that reality um, was, it impacted their lives and they were changed forever. Paul writes about that as well in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 6. Died, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, and after that He appeared to more than 500 people. 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That word appeared um, is different from the previous one. It's aptanome, where we get the English word ophthalmologist, ophthalmologist, somebody who sees it, somebody, the, the doctor who checks our eyes. So when he appeared, they gazed. Their eyes were wide open, is what that word means. And so when, when Jesus appeared to 500 people, they saw him, they gazed upon him. It wasn't some uh, fake or, or fable. It wasn't a hoax. It was absolute truth. 
that great New Testament scholar from Cambridge University, Charles Harold Dodd, said this, there can hardly be any purpose in mentioning the fact that most of the 500 people were still alive, unless Paul was saying, in effect, that the witnesses were there to be questioned. In other words, they were there, they were alive, and when Paul wrote about it, they were alive at the time, so he could actually uh, ask them, and they said, yes, Jesus appeared to us. We gazed uh, into his face. We, 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 with wide open eyes. And so we ask the question, what is the outcome of the resurrection of Jesus on the disciples? What is the outcome of the resurrection of Jesus on the disciples? What happened as a result of the resurrection? Well, friends, if it was a, a hoax, then why would certain of these disciples die as martyrs for something that was fabricated, for something that was actually a fable, for something that was not true? Why would they face abuse and torture and, and cruel deaths? And why would they be willing to die for what they knew to be false? But friends, it's exactly the opposite. As we read uh, from Dr. Simon Greenleaf, that famous royal professor uh, of law at the Harvard University said this, if it were morally possible for them to have been deceived in this matter, every human motive operated to lead them to discover and avow their, their error is possible. If then their testimony was not true, there was no possible motive for the fabrication. In other words, as a lawyer, he's saying, why would they fabricate this and even to the point of death and martyrdom for themselves? They could have said, we made a mistake, we lied. We, we actually uh, conjured up this false story, if that was the case. If you look at Peter, once upon a time was afraid to put up his hand to say that he knew the Lord Jesus Christ. But instead, after he's reconciled back to Jesus in John chapter 21, goes on and believes in Jesus, uh, one of the founders of the early church, and goes and proclaims the name of Jesus Christ and eventually transformed and suffered a martyr's death. James, the half-brother of Jesus, goes back as one of the founding uh, church fathers in James chapter 1 and says, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just a servant or a slave, but a bondservant, one who was able to go and nail his ear to the door to say, I follow Jesus. And for that, becomes one of the first martyrs in AD 62. What about Paul, one who opposed the church one who sniffed out Christians, we read in the book of Acts, sniffed them out to find them, like a sniffer dog, so he could kill them. What about him? Becomes the chief evangelist to the Gentiles in the New Testament and, and goes and preaches to entire communities and over 10,000 Jews uh, come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What about you? What about me? as we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we believe that he died for our sins, as we believe that he rose on the third day and that he's coming again, do we believe it? Is it a reality or is it a mere fantasy? Well, friends, there is power in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and it impacts us. It impacts us today on the 17th of April 
2022. So let me share with you just uh, a few verses and a few points on uh, the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. First one, there's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 and 15. Paul writes and he says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, there, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ has not been risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. The word vain there, kenos, meaning empty. It has no substance and it contains nothing. We can accept Friday, but Sunday is coming. We know that Jesus died for our sins. We know that that's what happened on Friday. Why? Because the resurrection proves that there is victory, there is triumph, there is success over sin. There is success over sin. Like St. Augustine said, God has made us unto himself, in other words, created us in his image, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. So point number one there, the resurrection is victory over sin. It is victory over sin. Friends, what St. Augustine was saying in that, that within each and every one of us, there is a gap in our hearts that only God can fill. And people will run from pillar to post to try and find answers, to try and find a, a place uh, in their heart for something that is missing. And until they find it in Jesus Christ, they will be restless. They will be restless. And so... There is nothing material that can fill that hope. We can run uh, after materialism. We can run after intellectualizing certain things. We can uh, look at uh, political cleverness, uh, whatever exalts the ego. But that brings about a temporary happiness. Now, friends, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is found in McDonald's ice cream, in Tim Tams, as you can see. But joy is found in the proof of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not circumstantial. It is a fact, and it's found in the resurrection, because Jesus came and took our sin away. S-I-N. The New Testament explains it very, very clearly, that he came on Friday, Good Friday, and on the cross he did away with our S-I-N. But friends, had he not risen from the dead, we could never have forgiveness and victory over our S-I-N-S, our sins. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so it's because of the resurrection. Remember that prodigal son, no matter what he did, he was able to come to his senses and he was able to come back home and the father loads up his shotgun and says, come close. As you enter my farm, I'm going to shoot you. No. The father, with arms open wide, as he sees his son coming, doesn't wait for him to come and beg and grovel. No. Instead, he welcomes him, runs, jumps onto him and kisses him and says, welcome, welcome. And that's the father's love for you and for me. Not only has he overcome uh, our sin on the cross, but through his resurrection power, we can live a life that we can come and confess our S-I-N-S. It's wonderful how that song writer captured the scene. 
At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. I can imagine what's going to uh, happen when I get home. There'll be this rebuke. No, that wasn't good, Dad. That wasn't good. <laughs> it's a fact, though, that it's not by might nor by power, as we read in Zechariah 4, 6, but by His Holy Spirit that we're able to experience that resurrection power. Friends, there is no other avatar. There is nothing that takes the sin of the world away. In every other religion, in every other religion, in every other religion, you have to climb up to the mountain to go and praise the one that's on top. Only in Christianity, we heard about it on Friday, only in Christianity did God come down the mountain to you and to me to take our sin away. Secondly, it's through the resurrection that we can experience the gift of eternal life. Paul writes 1 Corinthians 15 verses 16 to 18, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ not raised? For if Christ not be raised, your faith is in vain. Our faith is in vain. We gather here for nothing. You're not, you're still in your sins. Then you also are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. Apolimi, we are actually finished, we're destroyed. In other words, there is no life after death. There is no hope for Christians to experience the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no anticipation that Christ will come to set you and me uh, into his presence one day. Our sufferings and the anguish that we experience on this earth will be null and void. But friends, there is no hope if Jesus never rose from the dead. We'll all perish. We'll all go and become Something in eternity that no one will ever understand. But if there is hope in Jesus because of what he did on the cross. And there is nothing on this earth that can ever replace that hope apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from that gap that uh, we are created to fill. And that's found in Jesus Christ. Thirdly and finally, this daily victory through the resurrection power is for you and it's for me. The daily victory. In other words, uh, without Friday, we can never have forgiveness of sins. Without the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But without his resurrection, we can never overcome. We can never overcome. And so, Scripture says in Romans 8, 35 to 37, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And the word there, friends, for separate, chorizo, means who will divorce, who will divide us, who will allow us to go our separate ways from the love of God that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul explains, and he says, will trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because of the love of Jesus. And that word conqueror, you've heard me say it before, ipernikau. Iper, preposition in Greek, we above, we are more than conquerors, Nike. We are ipernikau. We are more than 
Nikes. You know that swish? It's a biblical word. We are more than conquerors in Christ. And I was going to say, let's just do it. But you know what? We are more than conquerors in Christ. Why? Because his death was not in vain. Neither is his resurrection. And so we can come before him, uh, as we read in Romans 6.14, sin shall not have dominion over the believer. Sin allows us to be crushed. And Paul is saying in Romans 6.14, sin will not have its rule, its exercise, its lordship, its power over the Christian life. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross on Friday, but he rose again. You and I can have that daily victory through the resurrection power that's given to you and to me. For atheists, there's no resurrection. They can't explain a turbulent life. They can't explain it away. Oh, it's by chance. It's your fate. Friends, your fate lies in the Lord Jesus Christ if you believe in him, in his death, but also in his resurrection. No wonder Jesus was able to say, my peace I give to you, not as the world's as the world gives, God's peace that's found in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an impact on the resurrection. It's powerful. It helps us to live lives that are pleasing to Him. And I suggest to you that that's the greatest event in the human life, to be able to to put our faith and trust in Him. To be able to say, yes, what a pleasure it is, what a blessing it is, because I've been added to, to praise my Savior, because he has revealed himself to me. C.C. Crawford, in his book, The Passion of Our Lord, writes, the resurrection is the outstanding event in the historic beginnings of Christianity. He says it is this cornerstone of the Christian faith, the Gibraltar of Christian hope, and the Waterloo of unbelief. For more than 2,000 years, the battle between Christianity and infidelity has been waged around the empty tomb. If the resurrection stands, Christianity stands, exclamation mark. If the resurrection falls, so does the Christian religion. Through 20 centuries, lack of faith has been at its wit's end to explain the empty tune. And upon this stupendous fact, Christianity has staked it all. Friends, if we don't believe in the resurrection then, and that it didn't happen, then we gather here on a Sunday morning for nothing. But if it's a fact, if it is real, then we can live lives that are characterized by the resurrection power that we have every day. Let me end off by t- telling you a story. It's called The Fork. There was a young woman who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and had been given three months to live. So, as she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and had him come to her house to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which song she wanted sung at the service what scriptures she would like read, and what outfit she wanted to be buried in. Everything was in order. 
And the pastor was preparing to leave when the young woman suddenly remembered something very important to her. There's one more thing, pastor, she said excitedly. What's that? Can the pastor's reply. This is very important, the young woman con continued. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood looking at the young woman, not knowing quite what to say. That surprises you, doesn't it, pastor, the young woman asked. Well, to be honest, I'm puzzled by the request, said the pastor. The young woman ex explained, my grandmother once told me the story, and from there on to, I've always done so. I've always, always tried to pass along its message to those I love and those who are in need of encouragement. In all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie, something wonderful and with substance. So I just want people to see me there in that casket with a fork in my hand, and I want them to wonder, what's with a fork? Then I want you to tell them, Pastor, keep your fork, because the best is yet to come. Pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy as he hung the woman, or hugged the woman goodbye. He knew this would be one of the last times he would see her before her death, but he always knew that the young woman had a better grasp of heaven than he did. She had a better grasp of what heaven would be like than many people twice her age. With twice as much experience and knowledge, she knew that something better was coming. At the funeral, they were walking by the woman's casket and they saw the pretty dress she was wearing and the fork placed in her right hand. Over and over, the pastor heard the question, what's with the fork? And over and over again, he smiled. During his message, the pastor told the people of the conversation he had with a young woman shortly before she died. He also told them about the fork and what it symbolized to her. The pastor told the people how he could not stop thinking about the fork and told them that they probably would not be able to stop thinking about it either. He was right. And keep your fork. Friends, the resurrection is proof that there is something greater to come beyond this earth. When we die, it's not over. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. And I suggest to you, it's because of the resurrection power that we can experience today. As you exit today, there are some forks. Grab one to remember that the best is yet to come because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Yes, Lord, it was Friday, but Sunday was coming. You rose from the dead, Lord, showing the power that your, our sins were taken away, but also of your, your Holy Spirit that's present in our hearts and minds. 
present with us every moment of the day. Lord, we are reminded of that today. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. Lord, for your resurrection power that allows us to be blessed, to give us a hope, and to live lives that are pleasing to you. May we remember the fork that the best is yet to come. For your honor and for your glory, we give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.